grew up with a single mom as what a house hack is, is basically you purchase a house with the intent of renting a portion of it out. 100% into real estate because I know how to do it. Hello, welcome to another episode of the Dre and Smiley, the Inner Circle Podcast. Smiley, man, I'm so excited to have our next guest on. It took a little while for us to get it together, all because of me, but, but we're, we're here. Let me read a quick bio and then we'll, we'll kick this off. Sabrina Maples is a powerhouse in the world of real estate. As a real estate investor, realtor, and coach, Sabrina's journey is nothing short of inspirational. At the age of 24, fueled by determination and hard work, she purchased her first property after juggling three jobs and putting herself through college. Transitioning into single motherhood, Sabrina defied odds and now owns three distinct properties, a long-term rental, an Airbnb, and a house hack. And in a remarkable feat, she acquired four additional properties in a single year, showcasing her strategic prowess and unwavering commitment. Having recently re relocated from Arizona to Washington, Sabrina is currently immersed in her third flipping project, demonstrating her versatility and adaptability in different real estate markets. Beyond her personal success, Sabrina is passionate about paying it forward. She dedicates her time to mentoring individuals across the country in one-on-one -on -one meetings, helping them navigate the path to their first rental property. Not content with merely being a real estate maven, Sabrina extends her expertise to clients, guiding them onto their journey to becoming successful investors. Her approach is rooted in empowerment, particularly focusing on encouraging women to believe in themselves and embrace the world of real estate investment. Amidst her personal triumphs, Sabrina cherishes her role as a mother of her four-year-old son. Her love for her child is matched only by her enthusiasm for guiding and empowering women to step into the realm of real estate investment, proving that with resilience and dedication, anyone can build a successful portfolio. Sabrina Maples is not just a real estate professional. She's a mentor, a trailblazer, and an advocate for the potential within us all. With that, Sabrina, welcome to the podcast. Hi. A lot of really nice big words. I like Thank you. you. You can pay me later. You can pay me later. <laughs> now, if any of that was untrue, let me know. No, I like, all that stuff, but the way I word it is way more simpler. <laughs> I think all of us, when we hear, some of us, you know, we go through our lives doing what we do day to day. We don't think about what we've really accomplished and the impact we're having on the world until someone else tells us about it. And it's like, whoa. So, so I, I, I can appreciate what, what you might be feeling right now. Here's the, the uh, obvious question, I think, that most you know our listeners uh, might, might ask. At the age of 24, you purchased your first property while have, juggling three jobs and putting yourself through school. There's like an incredible drive, a work ethic that someone has to have to do that. Where does that come from? Um, so I grew up with a single mom as well, and it wasn't the best. I know she did her best, but it wasn't the best scenario. So when I turned 16, I was like, I'm going, the day I turned 16, like after my birthday, I went and put job applications everywhere. Cause I was like, I don't care what I got to do. I'm going to make enough money to get out of this house. And during high school, I worked two jobs. I would work a night job. And on the weekends, I would work a morning and, a night, and that same night job. And then summertime, I would work two jobs. And then once I graduated, that's when I stacked it to three. Um, but even in all that, all of those jobs were minimum wage. So I would save a little and then like something would happen to my car or I would save a little and then it would be Christmas and and my family were required to buy lots of gifts. So then I would be out money again. <laughs> and then I would it all. And it was like just this vicious cycle. Um, and then when I was 21 is when I finally was able to get enough money to like move out and rent. And then you have, you know, money as far as renting a property that you can't be saving that either. So it just took a really long time to get to that first house. But in my head, it was like, if I can buy myself a house with all of this, like I've done something and then I, you know, buy the house and then the journey continues. But, um, the motivation was mostly to get out on my own. Makes sense. 
Let's say necessity is the mother of invention, right? So the fact that you kind of felt like you needed to be on your own, that was the perhaps the catalyst for you to get all these jobs and that sort of thing, pay your pay for your college yourself, that sort of thing. So going from that one your first property, I'm assuming it was a house, it was a condo, a house. So going from your first property, where did the idea come from? to become a real estate investor? Did it happen by chance, by design? So initially when I bought that first property, I obviously had to use the realtor because I wasn't a realtor then. And I had such a terrible experience with my first realtor to help me buy a house that I, in that moment, I was like, I'm going to become a realtor so that at least the people who work with me don't have to have this same terrible experience. Um, so that fueled that. But even in that moment, I couldn't put myself through realtor school. I was working like 12 to 14 hour days at the job that I had. Um, so the realtor part at least came when I moved from California to Arizona because I had more time on my hands. And then, then I put myself through school and became an agent in Arizona. As far as the investing, I always knew there was something there. I just didn't know how to get it, how to go about it. Um, the realtor that ended up helping me buy that house, her family invested. So she would kind of like, like mention things here and there as she was showing us houses. And then um, when I got to Arizona and I started doing the realtor school, I was like, I'm really interested in this. I'm going to find a broker who invests. And I found a broker that during school said that his father invested in a lot of apartment complexes and like more commercial. Um, so I signed up with him and then I found an agent within that brokerage that she had her own single family rentals. And I asked her to have lunch and sat down with her and like picked her brain. And she's the one that told me about bigger pockets. And she kind of told me about how she started her investor journey. But she's like, if you just go in bigger pockets and start listening to those podcasts, like, you'll unlock all the doors. And then in that moment, that's when that happened. And I think I was like 27, 27 when that happened. And then from there is how, yeah, that's how the investing door opened for me. This is awesome. I'm so excited when I hear people who are into real estate, especially their journeys. For our listeners who may not be familiar with Bigger Pockets, can you just explain, you mentioned how the, their colleague represents referred you to bigger pockets but can you just do a little description of what bigger pockets is so i was looking for free content and bigger pockets is basically a blog it's a podcast it's a youtube channel um they have people that share their stories via books they're like publishers so when i got introduced to bigger pockets i went on the website but i didn't really like the layout of the website so i threw myself into all the podcasts and i would mm. just look every single podcast, every single story. And like from there kind of decipher where I wanted my trajectory to go as far as like what kind of investor I wanted to be, because there's, you know, a million options to the word investor. And within those podcasts, sometimes they had people who did mentorships. And I had listened to Thatch Wynn's uh, interview. And I was like, that's my guy. Like, I need, I want this. I like the way he sets it up. I like how simple and like family focused he is. He did it from being an immigrant and having nothing. Like I'm, I'm a first generation immigrant, but I felt like I started from nothing. Like, like this guy's my guy. I'm going that way. And I picked him to be my mentor, um, through bigger pockets, but basically, yeah, it's a beginner's investor to, to investing with blog video and, um, podcasts. Now, also, when Dre read your bio, he mentioned that you were in Arizona. You mentioned you're in California. Now you're in Washington. Do you have properties on all different states or are you concentrating from Washington? You buy property in Arizona. Or are you national with your real estate empire or are you just regionalized? So I bought my first house in California and I made a bunch of money on that. I sold it and then I bought my house in Arizona. Um, my first rental property is actually in Alabama. I still own that house. And then when I was in Arizona, I had my primary and I had a burr that I attempted to rent out and I couldn't get a renter and all kinds of stuff happened with that house. So I ended up selling both of those houses and now I'm in Washington and 
two of my properties are here in Washington and then the other one is Alabama. So mm -hmm. if Arizona opportunity came to me, I would take it because I know the market well. Um, California, I haven't been there since I was in my early 20s. So I would be less inclined to invest there, but Alabama, Arizona, and Washington. Yeah. Awesome. And you mentioned also one last thing before I turn it back to Dre is he mentioned you have three kinds of assets. One is long-term rental, Airbnb, and was it, is it a flip? Because I, I apologize. I was stalking you on your Instagram and I saw that one house and, and it was just, I was like, how did she clean that up? Oh my God. It was like, there was so much, I, I want to say the word feces everywhere. And, and so I would, I want to come back to that a little bit, but is, are you long-term Airbnb and the first or house hack. Uh, what'd you call it? House, house hack. Was that a house hack that you had in your video? No, that's a flip. Oh, that was flipped. So can you define house hack? What does that mean? So in hack, so what a house hack is, is basically you purchase a house with the intent of renting a portion of it out to alleviate your mortgage. So this house in particular is, has a daylight basement. So on the top level, it's a two bed, one bath. And if you were to go to my basement, it's the exact same square footage um, layout. So I can eventually do that part a two bed one bath and I'll rent the bottom and I live on the top. And if I rent the bottom instead of my mortgage being thirty seven hundred, which it is, it'll go down to about sixteen hundred. And then I have like this piece of land in particular. I have parking spots in the front of my house so I can rent out the parking spots and also lower my mortgage. Um, if I was brave I got some storage unit on the side that I could rent and have somebody store it, uh, store their stuff there. Um, but that's basically the definition of a house hack is you renting out either rooms or garage or parking spaces or like my basement. I rent out the basement to basically try to live for free. The goal is to live for free. Wow. Um, but that's what I have. So Sabrina, let's, let's get into the, to the nuts and bolts of it to some extent. So before we do Alabama. So how did that, uh, how did that original property come about? It seems kind of random. Um, Alabama specifically, I was married and my husband was ex-military and he had been stationed at that Alabama, I forget the name of it, but the military base out there. And that's one of the biggest military bases in the country. So in the book, it talks about picking a market that the infrastructure and like the business, I guess, in that city is growing or some, there's something in it that will never die. And that's the biggest military base in the United States for army, I believe is the one. Um, so our thought was like, we're going to buy a house around the base because all the sergeants and the higher ups, they don't live on base. They live off of base and potentially get a military base person into that house. So that was the goal. He had been there before. So he knew what it looked like. I never been there. I still haven't been there. I've never touched foot. My foot has never been in that house. Um, and within that book, it shows you or it tells you how to find an investor-friendly agent, an investor-friendly um, property manager, at least a long distance you know, property manager. Some of them want you to be there. Um, it tells you how to vet uh, contractors because that house needed work. And then we ran numbers on that house. And if we got the numbers that we thought, our mortgage payment was close to $600 on that house, a three bed, two bath in Alabama. Um, yeah, we bought it at 95. So that was the other thing is like the entry level is so low. Like if we really mess this up, we'll still be okay. Um, and then the projected rents that we were seeing on Rent-A-Meter were around $900. Like, we're going to cash flow $300. Like we can get some military person in there, whoever ends up being in there, but we'll get them in there and we'll start this journey like, like a little tester. So that's, that's kind of how that happened. Okay. So here, here's a couple questions as follow-up. So you have a PM that manages the property. Um, mm -hmm. Would you do it again? Would you, would you do a distant, would you be like a you know distance landlord uh, again? And what challenges have you faced? owning a property that's out of state, if any. Okay. So would I do it again? Yes. I've looked into buying more now as a single mom, but I've been focused in Washington. So I just haven't had the opportunity because now I have proof of the pudding, right? 
I know what kind of house I had. I know how much money I paid. I know my property manager is good because she's been there for two and a half years now, almost three years, and she's an angel. So I have all my pieces already. It would be very easy to like copy paste. Um, the challenges I've had with that house was the initial setup. So finding the agent, finding the property manager, finding the contractors. Um, Alabama is also a attorney state, not a title state. So Arizona and California are title. In Alabama, you need an attorney to fill out paperwork. So I had to do like a Zoom meeting to buy that house. Oh. Um, as far as the house itself and the tenant, I have had not a single issue. Um, we bought the house as semi-fixer state. So we replaced floors, we painted, we put new appliances. Um, I forget what else we did, but we basically did a cosmetic flip on it before we put the renter in. And then every year our property manager goes out and does a walkthrough, make sure that if something's broken, that we fix it. Um, so the dishwasher wasn't working. So we replaced that. Um, oh, when I went to first buy the house, I had an inspection because I bought it traditionally with 20% down. And in the inspection, they said the house was good. But as soon as I took ownership, the contractor that went in there, it wasn't the contractor, it was the tenant. He kept saying that the air conditioning wasn't working. And I'm like, I don't understand how. We just went through an inspection. Inspection said it was fine. There was a small leak in the coolant or something. And I had to replace the AC in that moment because out there it gets really hot in the summer. Um, so I was out of pocket, four grand, like up front, not aware after doing all this rehab. So that was probably the one snafu, but... After that, him as a tenant, he pays on time. My property manager sends me the money. If he needs something, he reaches out to her and she just tells me like, hey, like one of the fence boards broke, like fell off the, the door of the fence. And she's like, we just need to fix this. It's going to be like 50 bucks. I'm like, okay. And then she just takes it out of the profits of the rent. Um, so that project compared to all of my other projects, even the ones that I can walk into has honestly been the easiest other than the four grand up front. Like other than that, it's been like a dream. Great. Great. So two more questions. I'll pass it back over to Smiley here. So for those listening um, to the podcast or watching on YouTube, can you describe the Burr method, the B-R-R-R? -R -R? So for those that may not know. So buy a property, rehab it, uh, rent it out, refinance, and repeat. So that's what BRRRR stands for. So you're going to buy a property that is a major rehab, like the one that you've seen on mine that's like feces and all kinds of stuff. Uh, you, you rehab it. And the idea is that by the time you're done with it, you have 30% equity. So then you can refinance all your money out, put a renter in, and then you repeat the process. So you find these like terrible looking unlivable houses that you're going to pay like a discounted rate for because they're uninhabitable, fix it up, rent it, make it a livable house, and then repeat the process. Yeah. There's a joke I heard probably on bigger pockets where, um, a real estate investor and his friend walk into a home that's similar to the one that Smiley mentioned and, and that you described also. It smelled, you know, it had a smell to it. It looked horrible and, and the real estate investor says to his friend, man, you smell that? And his friend says, yeah, it smells awful. And the real estate investor says, no, that's money. That's that's money that you smell because of the reasons you just said, because there's an opportunity, right, to take this dilapidated home that's on the street. It's not the best home on the street. And there's lots of room oh. to build equity. And you get in there and put in some sweat equity and make it happen. Which leads me to my, my next question before sending it over to Smiley. The 1% rule in today's market, does that still apply? Um, do you still use that when you're you know, trying to assess the value of a home because of how, you know, how prices are today? Um, in Alabama, you may be able to. In Washington, California, or Arizona, the 1% rule doesn't work. Um, in California specifically, I have a lot of friends that are investing and in trying to do burrs and they have to get really creative, um, as far as ADUs and DADUs to get the ARV high enough to do what they need to do to refinance it. So it depends on the market. They do still exist, but I would say on the West coast, you're going to be hard pressed to find a 1% rule and maybe Midwest and East coast that you have 
a better chance of getting it or getting it. So then what do you use? What calculation do you use? Um, so now my requirements, I guess, have changed. What I do is I take PITI and... Could, could, you, could you break down the acronyms for those listening that may not know? I, I know what all those are, but for those that are listening. <laughs> you clearly have been doing this for a while and they just roll off your tongue. <laughs> oh my gosh, shit. Somebody's listening. Oh no, yeah, I get it. Uh, so principal interest, taxes, insurance. Mm-hmm. So it's been like your entire mortgage payment, every aspect of paying your mortgage is PITI because some people can just pay their payment as principal and interest and then they leave their taxes as a lump sum for the end of the year or by bi- yearly, whatever they choose. Um, but what I do is I calculate all the numbers together because it just, I'll forget my taxes and I don't want to forget the taxes. So I just make sure they're all together. <laughs> So, so think of it like this. You mentioned the different properties you have, and I'm going back to my Grant Cordone and these different uh, Kiyosaki and all these different ones. Do you have a team? And if if yes, or are you a team of one, or do you have an accountant? Do you have a legal team? Because you said in Alabama, it's a lawyer state. Do you? Can you talk to someone that's maybe in the rat race? They got three jobs, and they're listening to this, and they want to say, "I want to be where Sabrina is. I just can't." jump out of the race because do I need to build my team first? Do I do my first deal first? Do I do my first flip? Do Because everyone's telling you which to do first. So if you saw someone or met someone who you're like, you know what, I was that person with three jobs. Let me tell them the path to get out of that and start the first one. So what would you say? For the way I started was I bought that first house and I lived in it. I bought it as a semi-fixer. I fixed things as I got money. And I made it better once I was able to sell it. And I sold it for about $130,000 profit after three years. And imagine like 16 to actually buying the house at 24, I could only save up $12,000. But then I bought that house and I lived there for a little bit. And then I was able to make 130. So in that moment, I was like, I'm never buying a turnkey house because I have the opportunity to make this much money while I'm living here and enjoying the house. Um, but to answer your question, that's what I tell everybody who asks me with W-2s, single moms, like people who are even just coming out of school, like how do I start my journey? And I think the easiest way to start your journey is to start by owning your own house. Because if you live in it and fix it up while you're there, you can either sell it or if you build equity in it, you can do a HELOC and you can pull your equity out to buy the rental property, which is, that's how I bought my Alabama properties. I did a cash out refi and that's where I got the down payment for that house or else I wouldn't have had, I think it was 25,000 to buy a rental. So when anybody asks me, I'm just like, do you own your house? And almost nine out of 10 times they tell me no. And I'm like, your first step is buy, buy a house, buy a house that it doesn't need to have feces everywhere, but it needs like outdated, like maybe a 1960s house that you could put some sweat equity and love into and then stay there a couple of years. And then you have options that just by doing that action, you have at least two or three options that if you chose to buy the second property, if you chose to sell that house, take the money, buy two properties, like that's, that's what I tell everybody. If you don't own your first house, buy one. That's awesome. And from your experience, because now you defined yourself as a real estate investor or as an investor who happens to be in real estate, are you into other asset classes such as stocks, bonds, private equities, or do you concentrate 100% into real estate? 100% into real estate because I know how to do it. I know what I'm doing. I know exactly what I need to look for to get. I know the numbers. Like I know how to, I know that like I'm fully invested in real estate. Um, I've had a 401k before I've had these other like money market things and I have no idea what I'm doing. Like I've talked to a financial advisor and I'm like, I'm going to give you this amount of money. What are you going to give me back? And usually it's like, well, 5% on your investment. And if you give me 10 grand, I'm going to give you $250 in a year. And I'm just like, (laughs) I, I can take that. Granted, I know everything that's happening in the market is volatile. Everybody's scared for their life. But the way that I do my rehabs, the way I run my numbers, like it almost doesn't matter what's happening outside of the world and what the news is spewing because 
my mine my requirements are cemented. Like, and I know if I buy something, I'm going to be good once I sell it. Um, so I just don't risk it in things I don't know. Um, no, that's, I, don't, that's, I don't know either. <laughs> that, that's what Warren Buffett says. He says you, you, you do what you know that's right. because that's where you, you reduce the risk with your knowledge. But we had a, a guy on, a real estate person, and he was from Orlando. And then he moved to Nashville or Tennessee, I believe, and he was saying he burnt the boats, meaning he wasn't going back to corporate America. He was just doing everything in real estate. And now he has, he's a wholesaler with thousands of properties. So from a Sabrina perspective, if we were to just look into the magic ball and say it's 2040, 2040, where are you now? Are you a Trump mogul? You have buildings all over the world with commercial with your names on them, or you have 200 units in real estate or what's that vision look like from a Sabrina perspective when you look into the hourglass and it's what 17 years in the future so uh, <coughs> sorry 17 years in the future I always think of my son first so he's gonna be the CEO of Maple Enterprises right yes. <laughs> he's gonna be owning dorms at his college so yeah my first goal was to get him a house to potentially put him to college so he won't have to do what I did. Um, 2040, I'm always looking so like what my next step is that I don't even, I love helping people. So I would love to have helped like at least a thousand people in that moment buy their first rental property or second property in that moment or in that time. Um, because my goal is to put the knowledge out there so that people can start earlier than what I did. People don't have to do as much corporate America as what I did. Um, as far as actual units, I would love to own an apartment complex. So I'd be like, that's mine. And it's like a big building. Um, but the, the number of units, where they are and what they look like, I don't really care. Like I take pride in my properties, so they're all going to look good. Um, and hopefully at that point, I'm at like at least twenty or $30,000 cash flow a month just in properties. Um, uh, in this moment, I'm assuming they're going to be Alabama, Arizona, or Washington. But if I've ventured off into a different state, um, I have friends that do Milwaukee and Kansas city and all kinds of stuff. Like I may venture into a different state. Um, otherwise my goal more is to, to help other people get out of what they're doing because I know how miserable it is mm. to three hours a day and go to work and make little to no money and have one little thing come up and you're fucked. Like, I don't want anybody to experience that. So if I could get that out loud, like, that would be the bigger goal. Have you ever looked at different classes? For example, I met someone the other day, I'm in Tampa, Florida, and we were talking, I had an Airbnb and he says, oh, I do nursing facilities. He has it for his rental he started out with houses, then he did a couple flips, and then he stumbled into nursing homes with veterans. So that's his niche now. And then I have another buddy in Pittsburgh. His properties are, it's not Section 8, but it's for handicapped people, like people who are legally blind, and he caters the houses to them, and he has a whole market of just people who are, let's say, visually handicapped. He, he caters to that market. Do you see yourself bearing into other areas or are you just primarily rentals? So right now I'm rentals, I've heard of all those things, the, the nursing homes in particular, um, the, I don't know if it's the right word to say like the halfway houses or like people who mm -hmm. are coming, uh, rehab on drugs, like they have those houses as well. Um, both of those I know make really good money. I just have, no idea about the ins and outs of those. Um, I did, when I was listing one of my properties, have a woman reach out to me that was like a domestic violence victim and she was working with the state. She had somebody, um, I forget what she called it, like a counselor. And if I could get houses specifically to like help those kind of women, I would love to do that. But I have, I have no idea right now how to do any of those things. Yeah. So you mentioned a couple times in responding to a smiley here, you know, helping others. And, and I know that's something you're kind of passionate about, right? You're equally passionate about real estate, but helping others to kind of get into it. 
Is there a success story you can think of where you helped someone make the transition maybe from corporate America into real estate or just simply buying their first property? So in Arizona, I catered mostly to investor type or beginning investor clients. So I had two clients. One was from Michigan and he moved to Arizona. He turned his Michigan house into a rental and now it's been long enough that now his Arizona house is a rental and he moved back to Michigan. Um, so I helped him while he was in Michigan run numbers on the Arizona house. I did video walkthroughs. I showed him like, here's rental comps. This is what your mortgage kind of outline is going to be. And then from that point, he picked which house he wanted. Um, I had another client as well. I used to do ads on Craigslist for houses and he had responded the Craigslist ads. And he's like, I want to be an investor. I don't know where to start. I don't know what to do. Like, and he's like, I, at the time he was living with his fiance, like we have this condo, like we have equity in it. What do we do? And then I was like, okay, well you can HELOC the condo. You can sell the condo. You can buy another house. And with him, what they ended up doing is they found, I sold their condo. They took that money and they found a fixer house in a neighborhood they wanted because the fiance wife was pregnant. So they found that house, but they found it in a fixer state. So they lived in the condo, worked on the house. And then a year later he contacted me again and he's like, I need help finding an, an actual rental. Wow. And then I helped him get the rental house. The same thing. I helped him run the numbers. Yeah. I helped him see PIT. I was, this is what a property manager is going to be. Like if you do Airbnb, you have to use air DNA to get the like, numbers like this is going to be the cost of that so those two in particular um i helped become investors wow. then i had other clients that were already investors and they were actually in washington and they wanted investment properties in arizona mm. so i did the same thing with them i used to uh i guess focus on multifamily, mm. um but every one of those ended up buying a single family because the numbers were just as good as multifamily and it was less risk one tenant instead of two one unit instead of two sets of repairs and things like that um wow. so one of them i am a rental house on craigslist mm -hmm. i've seen a for sale by owner i ran numbers on it and i wanted i wanted to buy that one myself and at that time my husband and i couldn't come to an agreement so I'm like, if you're not going to let me buy this thing, I'm going to go put it in front of my investor friend and he's going to buy it because I'm not letting this shit like go out. Yeah. Um, so yeah, he ended up buying that one, turning it into an Airbnb. Wow. And then another client that I have that lives here in Washington, he bought two houses, one in Casa Grande and one in Scottsdale. And the Scottsdale one is a luxury Airbnb and the Casa Grande one is just a regular one. But I've, yeah, helped amount of people buy their first one or you know just their portfolio what what that tells me is that you are a real estate investor's dream come true reason being you know what's what, what's going on behind the curtain right i've spoken to realtors in the past where all they do is just they're just a realtor they don't understand the numbers, you know, what's going on behind the curtain, things to look at as it relates to cash flow, that sort of thing. So I can definitely see, you know, how and why people uh, would kind of flock to you. Two, two more questions real quick. One is for those that are interested in having you as their realtor, uh, as a coach, that sort of thing, how can they get in touch with you? Uh, so on all my social medias, I have a link tree and within the link tree, there's a Calendly. So you can set up a one-on-one -on -one appointment with me just to, even if you don't have your first property, just to kind of get a road map to what you need to do because uh, the real estate game takes a lot longer than a lot of people like to sell it. Mm. Um, and some it'll take you a year or two years just to get into that first property, but you need to have a end goal and you need to have like a savings path to do that. Um, and then if they want to be my realtor, most people, they just DM me and they ask, like, can you help me do this or that? And I, I just answer. I'm I'm the one that does all my social media. So okay. if you need help. Um, and I think my phone number is in the link tree as well. So so like like uh, Deion Saunders, the new coach of the Colorado Buffalo, says you're not hard to find. 
<laughs> you're not no. hard <laughs> Okay, and then the next question before we do, get transition to the, to the final four, uh, two questions. One quick one is, with all that you do as a realtor, it's clear to me based on what you, you, you've shared and what I see in your posts, your number one passion is your son. How do you balance the time between, you know, taking on that most important role, being a mom, and the day-to-day of real estate investing? So that has been my toughest challenge is time management. Um, when I was married, it was easier because my husband was a stay-at-home dad, so I didn't have to worry. I could just work and, like, dive straight in. But as we got divorced and being a single mom, now we switch time with him. So when I do have him, I answer phone calls, but that's about as all I do. Like I'll take him to my projects with me if I need to talk to a contractor about a material or something like that. But I really try to focus on him. And then when I don't have him is when I am full throttle real estate. That's when I'm cold calling, door knocking, checking on the projects, looking at other projects, going to meetups, making all my content. Like I try to make all my content within a day and then I post it throughout the week so that I'm not recording video with him. Um, so it's, it's difficult and I'm figuring that out now as I go along, but, um, I mean, he's more important. I've also noticed like, um, I just became a full-time investor. I think it was July because that whole time before then I was investing and doing a nine to five and I would sit laptop for like nine, 10 hours a day, like watching him play around, like we're in the house together. Um, and that was rough because I'm like, I want to get off this computer and just play with my son. Like he's about to start school and I'm losing all of this baby time with him. Um, and since I got fired, which it could be divine, divine intervention or whatever, cause I was working with that lady for 10 years. Um, I have so much more time with him. So now in the moments I have him, I'm a mom. And the moments I don't have him is when I'm doing everything else. Love it. Tell, tell me as a follow-up question, I'll tell a quick story. I read something about JP Morgan, the bank finance, the financier. He said when he was a child, his father, who was also a banker, had him running the, doing all the, the ledgers, financials of the house when he was five. So he's been doing numbers because his dad had him do the checks and balances. And way back then there were no computers. And then I've, I got another friend in Pittsburgh. His son is 10 now. And he says when he was around six, he started letting him come and understand when he's going to collect the money, look at the property. So now he's like a 10-year-old who knows all this, this real estate stuff. So as a mom and an entrepreneur and an investor, at what age do you start to bring your son in? So a lot of us, we didn't learn about P-I-T-I or real estate or birds until we're adults or 20s. Now, as a mother, he could start a decade before most people. So that you consciously think, oh, well, when he's seven, I'm going to let him understand what I'm doing, what mommy does as a real estate investor, or is it 12 or is it 15? When do you make that transition to pour that knowledge that you have that it took us a lifetime to learn into the next generation? Um, I already do it. So my first project in Arizona, um, I think he might've been two at that time and walking through it, like as construction was happening. Um, now that house that is completely devastated, I didn't let him walk through it in that moment, but once it was deconstructed and you could see the studs, he was in there and he's like, ew, it's dirty. So now it's gotten to the point, the newest flip I just bought um, I had him do a walkthrough of it to like, cause he's like, I want this and I want that. And like, he'll tell me what like new baseboard or new things that he wants. And then like that joke you said earlier, like I smell money. I've already taught him that. So there was one room like, stinky in here, huh? And he's like, it's stinky, stinky. And I was like, you know what that smell is? It's money. <laughs> then he's like, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So he knows, he knows about dirty, dirty houses. He knows mommy's an investor and I buy houses and I make them nice. Um, he also knows my beginning of my script because when I cold call and he's around, like he's already memorized that. Um, he, he's full physically wherever it's not dangerous. He's, he's in it. And then he also likes to see 
the after of the project. Mm. So I always like to let before when it's like at least safe for him to be in there. And then when I show him the after, like I have a video on my Instagram of him walking the after and he's like covering his ears because the first time we walked in it, construction was happening and it was loud noises. And when I opened the door, the house was finished and staged. And he's like, oh, my God, it's not Dirty Dirk anymore. <laughs> and he's like, I love it. Like, can we live here? And then he started, like, messing with the knickknacks. So he has a, a base knowledge of it already. Obviously, when he gets older and knows math and numbers, I can start teaching him that. Mm. And um, Mentor Thatch shows a lot about how he taught his kids how to have entrepreneur mindset instead of a nine-to-five mindset. So I would like to go along those lines of like, and I want to teach him how to do real estate because then he'll always have that skill in his back pocket, whether he chooses to be an investor or an agent or uh, whatever. If, if he ends up being a chef or something, I'm not going to be upset, but I want him to know how to do real estate because one way or another, he'll have something to fall back on. But as far as age, like already in there, he's, he's, He's excited about it. That's great. That's great. So as we transition to the final four, final four questions we have for you, uh, the transition question is, what's one thing that most people don't know about you that you wish they did? That's a really good question. Um, I feel like just recently I've started thinking about my past and like what makes me who I am. And I feel like that might be the one that I was holding back because everybody's past is not always sunshine and rainbows. And I like to be a a person more of positivity and talking about that is not always positive. Um, So sharing, I guess my come up story is what I'm working on to get to people because to me, it'll help them align if they've had some sort of rough past that they can, they can make it to. As, as I as I think about that, and I'll send this over to to Smiley to kick off the first question. But what comes to mind is something I I always think about is everyone is dealt a different hand of cards, right? The person that I admire and I can connect with is the person that doesn't have, you know, a full hand. The person who has to like cobble something together and you know get rid of a card, get a new card, and still get to that level of the person that was at birth given the best hand, right? So we're all dealt different hands. It's what we do with it. It's how, you know, some people look at their hand and just, you know, they break down and I can't do anything with this. So, you know, I'm just stuck where I am. Others like yourself and, and many, many people that we, we can think of, they take their hand and figure out, okay, you know, this, this is it. It could be worse. It could be worse, <laughs> but let, let's play this hand and make it happen. So, you know, um, that's one thing I draw from your story. So I, I appreciate you, uh, Sharing that. Awesome. So as the final four, first question, if you could have dinner, four people at the dinner table, you're in one chair, three others, alive or dead, who would you want to have dinner with and why? I would say Thatch, but I have dinner with him a lot, so Whoa. that one counts. <laughs> Not you day <laughs> dropping over there, just, just casually dropping uh, influencers. Oh, yeah. yeah. I have dinner with Eddie Florcer all the time. <laughs> he goes to all the meetups. Um, last year, there was the big event, and there was a like donation that you could donate money to the Rave Foundation, and then you would have dinner with him. Like I did that because I, I'm a firm believer in like the people you keep in your circle will influence you unconsciously. Mm-hmm. I'm like, the more time I spend with that guy, the better I'm going to be. Um, but like I said, it's not all the time. But like, <laughs> if I, and I just call him and I'm like, I need help. Like he helps me. Wow. So, That's awesome. Yeah. I would love to uh, have dinner. Who would I love to have dinner with? We, we had one lady on and one guest and she's like, you know what? I do so much. I just want to have dinner with myself. I don't want to. I want, I want to remove the three chairs. I just want some quiet time. So she she took a twist on it. She's like, I would have it with me, myself, and I. Those are my three, and just some peace of mind and my nice wine. I don't want anyone else at my table. I was like, okay, so that might be my answer. <laughs> 
I have half batch that I get to talk to within that. Like I have other friends that are doing big things that I talk to a lot. Um, real estate wise, like I've met Robert Kiyosaki um, at a uh, an event. Um, Grant Cardone is a beast. Like he's a sales beast. I just because I do single family and he does multifamily. Like I guess I could I could ask him like mainly where does he get his un unwavering confidence? Like that man is that man. Like and you you've got a lot of haters, but he's got a lot of lovers too. So that's a a quality just that in itself of him being so like concrete in him in him in his self and his self worth and what he can do and what can he can accomplish. Um that would probably be a good one. Um I would love to be able to know about more female investors in the real estate game. Um I don't know a lot, so maybe if I could have like a question mark seat of like somebody who's female and killing it to occupy, like I would love to pick her brain. Um Yeah, I don't I, other than that I don't uh, yeah, I don't. I might. I might be alone, but <laughs> <laughs> we all have to have some downtime here and there, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, what's been your greatest success? I don't know because I don't. Which is going to sound morbid. I don't really look at anything I'm doing as like something crazy or out of the norm. Like the only thing I want to do is be able to teach more people how to do what I'm doing so that they don't have to suffer like I did. Um, so maybe my greatest success in that might be the people that I have helped become investors and that are actively doing it and know that possibility for themselves now. Um, also, obviously my son, like more than anything, having him be like a happy little guy and, him also coming up with this knowledge like if I help nobody else like that one is gonna know how to do it and he's never gonna have to do the work that I did so that greatest success might be seeing it other people succeed no that's good so um there's about eight billion people on the planet and Superman has a superpower he can fly. The Hulk has a superpower he can has a strength, and the Flash is really fast. Out of the eight billion people, Sabrina, what is your unique superpower that's only you out of the eight billion? What's your superpower? Oof. <laughs> <It's really laughs> I don't know. I think um, maybe just getting shit handed me and figuring a way out of it like i have no idea uh i'm sure i have one what it that's is a, that's called. a superpower right there <laughs> just just but you know what just from this brief uh conversation we've had i would say i think your superpower is your ability i said what are you going to do at 2040 he's like i want to help a thousand people the ability to want to help so many you didn't say five you didn't say two each one teach one you're like i want to help thousands of people that's a huge superpower, I think. Just the, the idea to want to help so many. Because most of us are like, well, I help one or two. You're like, no, I'm going to help thousands. So maybe that's your superpower. Selflessness. There it is. The ability to pay it forward. I said that's good. Like, <laughs> you like that? Okay. Okay. So you've had a pretty uh, interesting story, right? And your, your life isn't nearly you know, complete, but to, the, to date, if you think about your life to date, you know, what you've gone, what you've accomplished, et cetera. And you were to ask, you were asked to write a autobiography. What would the title of the book be? You can do it. It doesn't matter if anybody tells you otherwise. I like it. Because in my life, I am, um, I came from a single mom. My dad was gone a good chunk of my life. Like I didn't have the best home life. I worked my ass off. And then I got married really young and then I went through the hat and then I became a mom and now I'm a single mom. So it's like there and in that time, especially when I had decided to do real estate, I had my family, my friends, like 
what are you doing? Mm. Like you have a job. That's a good job. Like you're married. Like, why are you always trying to do something more with your life? What are you doing with this real estate stuff? Why are you wasting so much time? Like you're a female. You shouldn't be doing that. Mm. Like you should just be better and stay at home and cook for your husband. And like you're wrong for being driven and, mm. and just, you know, all of those things that, you know, if you actually bought into what people were saying, you would never go anywhere. Or if you bought into the story of where you started that you can't make it, that's kind of what it would be. And I mean, like you said earlier, there are people who have way worse stories than I did. There are people that were homeless as teenagers. Like, what is it, Eric Thomas? Mm. He's like mm -hmm. living on the street. Now he's this giant motivational speaker. Like he... He, his story is way worse than mine and he's done way more than I have. And like, it is, you can start from any place with any amount of negativity around you and you can make it through it. You just have to like put the blinders on, block the haters. Like I don't. Uh, I, I think one of the keys is what you just said is earlier, which is surrounding yourself by the right people, right? If you're, if you're, you know, telling people, Hey guys, you know, I have this great idea and no one that you're speaking to thinks as big as you think they're going to shut you down immediately. Whereas if you share this big idea with a thatch or, you know, someone else who thinks as big as you, you know, you, you're off, you're off to the right track, you know, and you're, you're doing it, you know, you know, and I think one of the takeaways from this podcast, one, just one as many for me at least, is, again, surrounding yourself with, you know, with a support network that, you know, that has, that's going to support you, push you, challenge you, et cetera. And, you know, it's clear, it's clear that you've, uh, you've done that. Smiley. Wow. Well, Sabrina, I want to say this has been the best conversation. I, I'm so enamored when I, being a real estate enthusiasts and just to speak with people from their perspectives about real estate and investing and how they got started. I always, I'm always interested into how did you jump into the pond or the ocean of real estate? Cause we all get on the edge of the, the, the edge of the water, it looks but cold. not many jump into it. It looks deep. It looks cold or they, might be sharks they in walk there. around. <laughs> yeah, they got the fear, uncertainty and doubts going on. But you, I, I love the journey, the way that you just jumped in it, you, your, your roadmap and your desire to help so many others get into the pool because the, the real estate ocean is amazing once you get in it. And there's so many different waters in there, different opportunities. But uh, thank you for sharing that. It's just been inspirational and motivational. So thank you for your time. Thank you for having me. I appreciate you guys reaching out to me and, and more people I'm able to talk to, the somebody might get encouraged off of this. So that's usually my goal is the more people see me and the more vulnerable I have to get, then the more lives might be affected. So I very much appreciate you guys accommodating my schedule. No problem. Thanks for your time. Thank you.